and welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here. 2021 season is just about to resume, and uh, we have a great guest for you on this show. This week's guest finished 2020 as the 29th ranked men's tennis player in the world, the second highest American. That's the second straight year he's had this distinction. Born and raised in Southern California, he rose to prominence as a junior player, the top junior player in the world in 2015, and immediately made noise on the Pro Tour in 2016, where he burst into the top 60 and made a tour level final. He won his first career title in Eastbourne in 2019, and at 23 years old, there's plenty of tennis still on the horizon for this rising star. Welcome to the TC Live podcast from his hotel setup in Australia, Taylor Fritz. Taylor, thanks for joining the show. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to get going with uh, everything that's uh, been going on with you in Australia, the uh, the current quarantine setup. We're almost there. You were ready to practice today, but unfortunately it got rained out. Uh, how have you been able, Taylor, we can start here. How have, you, how have you been able to kind of stay fresh, mentally engaged, keep yourself in shape as you prepare for, you know, an unconventional start to uh, run at a Grand Slam? Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's been all about just kind of like being on like a schedule and having a routine when I was home for this like extended period of time you know like I kind of just got used to just doing the same thing every day like waking up go to the gym work out play tennis and you know I enjoyed it because typically we don't spend too much time at at home so it was a good good change you know I mean luckily we can still go on the court so like since we've been here training has been pretty um pretty normal Aside from the first three or four days where we couldn't really leave, they were still trying to like figure things out. But like since then, you know, I've gotten an hour and a half in the gym, two hours in the court every day. So, and then I go back to the hotel and kind of just play video games, which isn't really different from what I normally do, even yeah. if we weren't in quarantine. So, I mean, the training the last two weeks has been totally like fine. Maybe the only downside is I've been practicing with only Riley for <laughs> the last two weeks. I would like to maybe practice with somebody else, but you know, aside from that, like, we're good. Yeah, I should mention uh, before we go any further that we've had Riley Opelka and we've had Tommy Paul on this show, so it's kind of like completing oh, awesome. the hat. It's kind of like completing the hat trick. So you're you're, you're bringing <laughs> it up and making this show complete now that we've got the third member of that brotherhood, which we're going to get into. Uh, your backstory to me, Taylor, it's fascinating because a lot of people know about you know your upbringing. Your mom was a top ten player. I made a couple of uh, Grand Slam quarterfinals. Your dad was a player and a distinguished coach, but you know, it's interesting and it's rare in the sense that you weren't raised as a quote-unquote tennis prodigy. You're open about the fact that you played other sports and you played high school mm -hmm. tennis and you were really engaged in other activities and not just tennis-focused at an early age like a lot of kids were. So my mm -hmm. question to you is, what were those first memories and first moments of playing tennis like? Because clearly you weren't really pushed into it as this is going to be your path. Yeah, the thing is, I can't even remember when I, I, I've been playing tennis for so long, I can't even necessarily, like, remember exactly when, like, the first memories were. I mean, I, I remember, like, my first tournament, like, going out and, like, I, I won my first tournament that I played, like, little novice event, like, eight and unders. Um, I remember playing mini tennis a lot, like, on the court with my dad. He was coaching the college team at the time. He always had guys around for me to practice with and, like, play with. You know, that's all I really remember. I just remember when I was younger just all i would ever do was just play like i would rotate in between sports i'd play go play basketball for 30 minutes i go play baseball i go play tennis i go take a nap i'd go I like, play golf after like that's all my my dad told me was i just i would basically just take naps and play sports in between so when you got to tory pines high school as a uh you know 
as a 14-year-old winning the CIF singles title. Was that the moment when you thought, okay, I should probably you know, invest in, in seeing if I have a path here? I know I think you said you played basketball as well, but was that moment playing that yeah. freshman year of high school, was that when it kind of came together for you? No, I, I, I mean, I don't want it to sound type of way, but like I expected to win the CIF when I was a freshman in San Diego. I wasn't like amazing on a national level, but like as far as like San Diego high school tennis goes, yeah, I, I knew that I was probably going to win that. <laughs> Well, there's nothing um, wrong with being confident for sure. And obviously, but, you know, it, it, it yeah. makes sense. Um, but I, I guess what I'm kind of getting to is that you know how rare this is, especially for someone that's, you know, risen up the ranks as yourself to not really yeah. have a... You know, uh, you know what it was? Yeah. You know what it was for me was I got invited to go to the USTA when I was like 15 mm -hmm. that year to um, train in Boca with like, I think they had, they had a camp, like the 16 best in like the country for like our age, like 97, 98. Yeah. And I was probably one of the last people to be invited. I wasn't very good at all. I definitely wasn't at the level of Riley or Tommy or Francis or any of those guys at this time, like not even close, even though we were the same like group year. What it was for me is I made the decision to quit. I was playing high school basketball and I was actually planning on playing lacrosse that year too, later in the season. And I just said, I'm just going to quit everything and or quit basketball for that season at least and go play, um, go train there in Florida with all those guys. And I did it and it was brutal. I'd never like kind of like had to like work that hard before because I'm not used to playing two hours a day doing gym. They're not even two hours, like four hours a day and doing gym. I'd never done that stuff before. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I improved so drastically being there playing with all these guys that are better than doing this training that I've never done before that they've all been doing. And, I just got a lot better. And then I think that's when I kind of realized like, you know, I think I'm going to just stick with tennis and just go all out on tennis and try to try to get as good as these guys. When you went to the USTA to train and, and pick up your high school, you know, resume your high school education there. You know, I believe you won your first tournament in uh, Osaka, if I have that right. And you were able to kind of just see how you matched up on the, on the uh, national level. And to, to go a little forward, I mean, 2015, you're making the quarterfinals of all four junior Grand Slams, winning one, a final of another against Tommy Paul. When was that development really taking a hold of you? Because you go from, and that's where I kind of want to highlight, is you go from a high school tennis player who didn't have much junior exposure, who was, as you said, one of the last players uh, invited to a camp, to 2015, you're the top junior player in the world. And I just want to know if there was that moment in the path, in the training, where certain aspects of your game came together, if it was that gym time on the court. What do you think you know, made the difference for your elevation up the ranks? I mean, a lot of progress was made that freshman year when I decided to quit the high school basketball and just go to USTA. And it was, it was just all that, like, I don't know, just like four, like, you got to think of it like this. Like, I was playing, I was playing year-round sports. Like, I was still playing, like, I mean, my parents like begged me to not play, not play football my freshman year, basically. But aside from that, I was still playing like tons of different sports. And so, um, you know, max, I'd play an hour of tennis a day with no fitness. So I think just going to USTA four hours against guys that are better than me, like training really intensely, doing gym stuff I'd never done before, just got me stronger, faster, fitter. I just became a much better tennis player. And then over the next six months that I went home, I started winning a lot more while wild card to the u.s open junior qualifying my sophomore year of high school 
I qualified and I played Zverev first round mm-hmm. actually. And we had like, I think he beat me like six and three. We had like a decently close match. And that's when I was like, wow, this guy's number one in the world. Like maybe I should start playing some more ITF. So I want to see how far I can take this. And I think that's when I finally like, that's when I started to be at the level where I was like getting better and progressing. And then I went, just played some, started playing some um, ITFs in the US, started doing well. And then I said, you know what, this is it. Left school and started just like training really, really hard. I think, I think the difference maker from me, why I went from like, you know, like you said, being a high school player to the number one junior, it was just doing thing. Like I got to a certain point off of just like just talent and not working. And then when I added in all the hard work and stuff that everyone else had already been doing, it kind of just propelled me to a new level, I think. And I just kind of rode the confidence out. Well, there's definitely a lesson in there for sure, especially players that, you know, aren't don't have the hype around them in any sport really that they can you know put the work in and and really develop at what point taylor did you think turning pro was the serious option because i know you you said usc was where you were leaning for a while thought you were going to go there was it towards the end of that run the u.s open in 2015 winning that or was it a slow process the thing was i always said i was going to go pro even when it was like a dumb thing to do (laughs) I think when it actually became like for real, like I can do this was towards the end. I started winning rounds in futures. I was beating guys in futures pretty easy and going really deep in the junior grand slams. And then when I won us or not when I won us, but when I was like the number one junior in the world, I was just like, you know, it just can't really like, there can't really be a better sign than that to know that you're ready to, you're ready to do it. So Certainly makes sense at that that's kind point. Of, kind of- yeah, it certainly does. I want to mention, with your coach being uh, David Nakin, who had been working with you for a while, one of the things he's praised about you is your mind and how you see the game and aren't afraid to be opinionated and uh, tell him what you see in a very analytical approach. Do you view that as unique in the world of tennis, how you see the game and, and certain things and observations you can make even when you're out there? Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is normal for me, but I, I don't know if... If that's something that other people don't do, I just feel like it's important that I always like, I don't know, speak my mind in like practices. I feel like I have a good understanding of like my my game and what I'm doing wrong. When I miss a shot, I kind of know what's what's wrong. So I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of like what I need to work on, what I need to get better. I think definitely it sometimes it gets in the way of like or gets misconstrued as being um, tough to coach or not listening. You know, I think, uh, I think a lot of the arguments Paul and I get into are over like the fact that I'm not listening or I think I know best, but um, it's just important to me always that I let my coaches kind of know what I'm thinking and I do it. I do it so they know what I'm thinking and what's going on in my mind. So that maybe help them give me better input as well. And I think it's just really important to like, talk to your coaches and like tell them what you think is best. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm the player. So I think I should have a pretty important like input. And I don't think players should kind of just like let the coaches dictate everything they do. Right. On a side note off of that, the, uh, 
next gen was where they introduced the headset. So actually that's when most of the world saw that you were kind of giving your opinion on certain things with that experience. Yeah. And also with the ultimate tennis showdown, maybe not as much because you were talking, mm-hmm. you were talking to Tommy. I Paul was messing a little bit around there. that one. Yeah. The next yeah. gen was one for serious. But did you really enjoy that? Was that something that, you know, you thought was a, a good technological advancement or was that, you know, just whatever for you? I don't like it because obviously I kind of like, like we just talked about, I kind of can make adjustments myself and coach myself at times. Mm-hmm. So I don't like that other people can get uh, coaching and maybe, you know, people that aren't as good at figuring out themselves. I don't like that they can get coaching and <laughs> they get that, uh, that extra help that it kind of gives me maybe a bit of an edge. I've always been all for like tennis is a one versus one sport and you got to figure it out out there on your own and the mental side of it, figuring out like changing things and like figuring out what you're going to do is just part of the game, in my opinion. So I, I'm, I'm, I've always been very against uh, coaching. Taylor Fritz on the TC live podcast. Um, I, I want to go to the start of your pro tennis career now, 2016, as far as first seasons go, it, it couldn't have gone that much better for you. We mentioned the final, yeah. you lose to Nisha Corey in the Memphis final and you get up to 53 in the rankings. Did that feel like in a sense, while you were in it that you were kind of playing with house money because you were on a tear for quite some time. Ultimately the grind of the tennis season shows itself to everybody, top players to bottom. But those first couple months, was that like playing with house money for you? Absolutely. That's a, that's a really good way to put it. I just got a, I got, had such a good start after I won that first challenger and then the second challenger. And it was just like, wow, like everything after this is just such a bonus. Cause like I've already done so much better than I thought I would. So, you know, absolutely. I was kind of just like, riding a wave and you know i didn't really like care too much if i happened to lose like lose a match because everything was going so well and when you're like that it's so easy to play free and play you know yeah. play well now once you i said i said this you know after i made the finals of memphis i come back the next year i'm ranked like 70 or something i beat rendy lou who is seated and i go wow that was a really good win for me but like the crazy thing is like i go last year this would be the biggest win of my life this year everyone yeah. expected me to win that and I go, this is like, that's what's so tough about it. It's so much tougher to play with expectation. And like the wins don't also don't feel as good because you have all these people that are expecting it of you. Yeah, and I got to imagine too, the position that you're in, that, that you weren't at that point, you know, in the, in the fifties and the 60, 70 range, the luck of the draw is just so important at these tournaments. Like, I think that's what it's the so outside tough. world doesn't it's, understand. It, that's the toughest barrier to break through because you're not getting seated. So in order to get any kind of points in these events, you have to beat a seed. You know, you play a 250, a slam, like a slam, 45 points to win a match, a 250, 20 points to win your first round. You're guaranteed to play a seed in the first or second round. So it's like, it's so tough to gain points unless you're beating seeds, you know? And then once you get seeded, it's much easier to hold your ranking because you, you know, you get decent points beating guys you're supposed to beat. But yeah, it was tough just losing lots of matches to just good players you know like yep. very solid players you're not gonna avoid playing those guys what did you learn about you know the the season itself in terms of dealing with not just the grind but also you know the physical side of it you dealt with your first real injury with your knee and you've gone on record saying it was probably a mistake to push through i know a lot of your off-season training is is based on strength and mobility but did you kind of come to terms and understand how to deal with the physical grind of being a pro tennis player then Yeah. I mean, I think the toughest thing for me was mentally just like going week in, week out, like losing. I've never, like, I think 
I went to that clay season 2016 was the first time my whole life I lost first round back-to-back weeks in tournament. I don't think I've ever done that before, like ever gone two weeks in a row without like winning one match. And I think just confidence wise, it it hurt me, even though like, yeah, it wasn't a hundred percent. I don't really think like that. I still think it like being like a loss, a loss, like, and I think I kind of had to just learn. I kind of just had to learn like to lose and accept it and move on in the next week. And I think that was an important lesson. And then, you know, with the knee as well, I just, you know, I was having such a good season. I thought I could keep going. I learned, you know, valuable lesson that you can't, I can't compete against these top guys unless you're at least like 90, yeah. 90% like ready to go all the time, you know? You know, one thing about your you know resume as a player, Taylor, is that you've never been afraid to play every sort of event, even when you've rose up the rankings. You'll play lower level events, challengers, even winning out at Newport. How important has that been to get match play? Because I don't think a lot of players in your position, it's my understanding that they wouldn't you know, play a small tournament when the money is not as good and the ranking ports are minimal. Why is that important for you? When it makes sense, I don't see a reason not to play, really. I don't know. I I think people get tired, like, think about maybe, like, being on the road for a while or, like, getting burnt out. But for me, like, if you're not going deep in a tournament, you don't get tired. You get all those days to recover. So, like, yeah, I'll take a day off if I, uh, take a day off if I, like, or a week off if I have a really good week, maybe go like final final or something like that, mm-hmm. or win a tournament final, then I'm be like, hey, it's time to take a week off. But aside from that, like it's not, it's just not that tiring. The toughest thing is being away from home and I don't really mind it too much, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, it makes sense to want to stay in that rhythm. And, and as you said earlier, not being used to, you know, to unfortunately losing in a couple early tournaments, you want to get out there and get back on the court. And there's only a certain place to learn certain things. And that's within matches. Um, Taylor 2018 was when you had your bounce back here, nine quarterfinals in total. And you, and you finally do crack the top 50. How satisfying was that year for you? And uh, what do you think was the big difference for finally getting over that hurdle? Cause 50 is one of those, you know, it, it's, it's a number that has significance for a lot of people on the outside. And for you to get to that point was an accomplishment. Yeah, it was so, it was so good for me mainly just cause like, I'm all about like forward progression moving forward. And I was, I had too caught up in 2017 being like, God, I was better last year, better then. So it was nice to finally like get over that hurdle and be like, okay, I'm better than I've ever been before. My like results can prove it. It was tough losing so many quarterfinals. Like you said, I I was in a lot of quarterfinals. (laughs) Um, And it was nice in 20, I don't even know, 2019 or 2019, I started making more semifinals, which was awesome. But yeah, it was just really nice to like kind of finally push past that that hurdle and know know for sure that I'm better than I you know I'm better than I've ever been before. Yeah, 2019 was when you actually had you know, some big wins, a couple top 20s and top 10s in there. And this <laughs> is a, this is a reoccurring thing of players moving up the rankings. Taylor is that in order, as you said earlier, to to gain ranking points and rise, you're going to have to beat the best, and you're going to see them week in week out. Was that, and getting back to the beginning, was that more of a mental thing? Because the game is, the margins, I should say, are razor thin for a lot of these players, whether they're ranked 10th, 11th, or 40th, 50th even. Was that more of a mental edge of knowing in the big points that you could rise up and finally beat these guys? Part of it's it's mental and part of it's um, physical, you know? Mm -hmm. Part of it's winning the big points, being mentally strong, not being nervous, you know, 
fighting hard there. And then a lot of it's like physical. You need to be strong enough and have your game good enough to allow yourself to beat those guys, you know, allow yourself to be in those situations where the mental part comes into play, I guess. And so it's, it's definitely a bit of both. You know, I just trained a lot, worked really hard. And I think all the training and and hard work also kind of makes you believe a bit more, you know? Yeah. Gives you a bit more belief and more confidence in yourself that you can beat those guys when you put in the work. Yeah, 2019, you mentioned, you know, not having a problem with being away and being on the grind. We remember here that you made that commitment to play the European clay court season. And a lot of Americans, I don't recall many, if any, that made that full commitment that you did. And I think you can look at the tangible results. Maybe not just clay court season, but grass court, you went at Eastbourne and then, you know, the hard courts after that. Yeah, he was huge for me playing, you know, committing to that whole season. Uh, My coaches were probably a little bit against it at first. But one thing I noticed every clay season was um, I'd be not so good the first couple of weeks. And just as I'd start to like kind of put my clay game together, it'd be like French Open and then we'd be off the clay. And so I said, you know, I think I need more tournaments to kind of adjust and get it going. And that's, you know, that's what happened. I think I'm someone who kind of warms up, you know, after a couple of weeks. Uh, traveling on the road you know I'd, I've never really been good at like showing up first week and like just playing great on like one week I think it's like I definitely need match play and tournament play to kind of get myself going and yeah as you said it kind of led into the hardcore season I had lots of confidence going and I, I think it like playing a lot you know rewarded me the risk is obviously staying healthy not getting burnt out and I was lucky that I avoided both those things how sweet was it for you that first title at Eastbourne, uh, winning it yeah. very handily going through the draw also, uh, but winning your first uh, professional title, what was that experience like? And I can't even describe it. You know, people always ask me, like, I get the question a lot, like, you know, what was the best moment of your career? And I've played against all these like amazing players, but you know, I've lost most of them. So I can't say like, I can't say that. I always, I always say Eastbourne, you know, uh, I think a lot of it was because I came so close when I was 18 having that chance, almost winning a title. And then I had to wait so long, you know, after Memphis, my goal was to get a title. And I just, you know, I lost a lot of quarters, a lot of semis. I was just like, and I just wanted it so bad. I felt like I got in that match and I played so well just because I didn't want to, didn't want to wait any longer. I knew it was my chance. And yeah, it was just like, like the best feeling. More with Taylor Fritz on the TC live podcast. Uh, your 2020 season, how, in, in your words, Taylor, somebody that's, you know, into the top 30 now, how would you assess how the year went? The good, the bad, there was the break, obviously, but what do you think about your campaign in 2020? Uh, you know, I think it started well. I, I had a big emphasis on, like, doing well at bigger events. Um, I missed, definitely missed an opportunity at uh, U.S. Open to go deep, but I made third round of all the slams. You know, I missed an opportunity at Roland goes too, you know, but to be fair, I played Snago. He played an incredible match. Like he was mm-hmm. really, really tough. So, you know, I just want to look to capitalize more on those chances in the future. But like, I don't know, these guys are, uh, these guys are tough. And 2020, the finals of Acapulco was huge. Getting myself seated at like, you know, yeah. seated at Slam, seated for Indian Wells, Miami. I was excited. I had no points to defend Indian Wells, Miami. I think the break really kind of hurt me with like momentum wise. And then coming back, playing these like 250s and 500 events when we came back from quarantine was really tough for me because it was tough to find motivation when the prize money was so like, was just so much like smaller. There really wasn't much prize money. 
the way my rankings, the points worked out. I had to make finals of the 250s and semis of the 500s to even gain points to get any kind of ranking points. So I think motivation was a bit of an issue coming back. I did well at all the thousands. I did, you know, I had results at the thousands and the slams, the ones that were like important to me. And, you know, going forward 2021, I just need to just looking to have like some breakout results at some big events, kind of the same goal as, as last year. I mean, in Australia, you beat Kevin Anderson. You took team to four, which, you know, he he's an, another breed almost, but he got all the way to the final on that run. Uh, yeah. and, and just kind of looking at that, Monfils in 2019 was a big win for you. I think part of the development yeah. and the growth in your game is playing in these best of five tournaments and, and playing matches that are best of five and going the distance. It's one thing to you know, maybe beat these guys in a best of three, but it's an entirely different obstacle where the fitness would come in winning these best of five matches. Yeah, best of five is a whole other story. It's like I feel so much better playing someone who I think I'm a better player than in five because you know maybe maybe they grab maybe they get me in two out of three but if we play five sets over a long period of time you know i feel confident i'll beat them and that's definitely a hurdle to overcome is going to be beating the top players in three out of five not you know best of three i I feel it's much easier to beat those guys in best of three and every time i've played dominic you know we've had we've had a lot of close matches yeah and he gets me every time and i think you know the next step is kind of just overcoming that hurdle and getting past him and it's going to be like that for a lot of the guys kind of just winning these three out of five set matches and yeah i don't know it's just it's obviously very tough to uh compete with these guys over like a long period of time that acapulco run that you mentioned uh the win over isner which was huge it's tough to beat rafa anywhere i think everybody under understands that yeah it was a yeah. great run and i'm sure you were able to take some things from that going forward as unfortunate as that outcome was for you yeah, I think, you know, I could have played better against Rafa. Not saying I would have, the result would have been any different if I played better, but I could have definitely played better. It would have been, would have been nice to kind of show what I could do a bit more, but obviously take a lot of positives out of a, out of a 500 final. You kind of have to, I guess, I don't know, it's just a good milestone to reach, you know, a 500 final. You've also said that there's no doubt there's confidence in, in your abilities that you'll get to being a top 10 player as we look at 2021, what do you think the next logical step is for you to reach that goal, whether it's a, a certain result or, or something that you feel like you need to work on to achieve that top 10 status? It's a, it's going to be a big result at a big tournament, kind of like Acapulco, but even on a bigger scale, you know, do the same thing. But semis, finals of, of a couple thousands, you know, quarterfinals of slams, you know, I think that's the next step is finding, you know, I, I've found consistency I found consistency going deep in 250s. I found consistency making third round at slams. I think the next step is to find consistency making fourth rounds and you know quarterfinals of 1000s and like stuff like that. It's just I need to keep keep becoming consistent with just better results and big results too. So, you know, the tour rewards points wise the rankings it rewards big results over consistency certainly does and and being in the third round and it consistently now at all these tournaments means you're close and it's coming down to one or two matches essentially you know if you can break through that's a huge result huge coming down to just a couple points (laughs) yeah (laughs) the margins are so small so yeah Yeah, i'm just trying to do everything i possibly can off the court fitness wise practice wise just make sure when those those times come i'm I'm as prepared as possible i know nobody's been a a fan of it but it it hurt 
you specifically at some of these American players at the U.S. Open, the lack of fans uh, in attendance. Have you gotten used yeah. to any of it? I mean, I know it's tough for everybody to not have that emotional lift, and and uh, it's definitely a much it's, harder undertaking there. It's tough for sure. I felt like I, I was pretty, like, I was pretty pumped up at the U.S. Open. I did a good job of keeping myself, like, pumped up. But, yeah, I mean, it, I'm excited to be here in Australia because we're going to have fans here. I love competing and, and playing in front of people and entertaining. And so, you know, I definitely, definitely miss it. So I, I hope we can go back to the way things used to be in the near future. But in the meantime, it's all about just trying to keep yourself as pumped up as possible. Certainly is a, a couple more things with Taylor Fritz here on the TC live podcast as we also try to shine the light on, on the personality outside the tennis player on this show. <laughs> you mentioned being, uh, you know, gaming during this, this, uh, quarantine in Australia and you make no bones about it that, you know, you're big into gaming, the, an investor actually in Rekt global and playing a lot of, of all the regular games, FIFA, Fortnite, call of duty. So I got to ask you, uh, who else games on tour and uh, I'm assuming your close friends do and if you could just break down who's good and who just unfortunately can't hold it. Definitely depends on the game. You know, um, Nick curious is like unbelievable at call of duty. He's, he's amazing at call of duty. Tommy Paul's pretty good at call of duty. Riley's getting there. He used to be like the worst ever at video, like every video <laughs> game. He's getting there. He's getting a little better. So I have to respect the, uh, the progression. Normally I would just, tell him how bad like just talk about how bad he is but he's getting there so you're saying the trash talk you're saying the trash talk also kind of reigns free here it's it's there's trash talk back and forth here yeah i mean the, I, the one thing i will say is across the spectrum of like all games you know i play a very wide spectrum of games i don't think there's any athlete in the world that can compete with like my whole whoa okay my 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 consistent level in every game i play you know let, let's put it this, like nick's definitely better than me at call of duty but like you're saying if it was a games, decathlon you'd win if, if like, there was a game decathlon yeah. and there's no athlete in the world that would beat me i can assure you that it's confidence i like it uh and i don't want to i don't want to narc on one of your boys though but I, I should bring this up you mentioned the basketball history I had Tommy Paul on here, and uh, you didn't get brought up when he was breaking down good hoopers on tour. So I don't know if that's shade or what, but he just maybe he just had a uh, forget the memory. Played, I haven't played in forever to be. I haven't played in forever to be honest. And like, they play a lot more consistently than I do. I just don't like like doing it too much. I'm okay. There's definitely like guys a lot better than me. My shot's pretty ugly. It's not bad, but it's pretty ugly. I do want to also bring up uh you know one more thing that i i forgot to bring up earlier you've made a couple finals now uh you're starting to get to that point where you're about to hopefully hoist some more trophies have you had that conversation with your mom like you know mom you you're undefeated in finals can you give me some pointers wait was she yeah seven and oh i didn't know i didn't know that i didn't know that huh no i didn't know that (laughs) hey didn't even realize undefeated in finals really yeah well maybe i'll go half to uh I'll have to uh, ask her for some pointers after this. Taylor, uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, final question for you, Taylor Fritz on the TC Live podcast. What is your personal expectation for this run down under? Unfortunately, there's no ATP Cup uh, for the American team this year, but you're, you've made the mm-hmm. commitment. You've gone down to, to train, and uh, we're taking this Australian Open serious. So what's your, your goal, your mindset, and what do you expect to achieve? First off, hoping to have a solid, you know, first week here. Maybe like, a, I don't know, I just want to play good tennis. I don't really care how the result goes. And then once we get to Australian Open, it's about 
taking it one match at a time, obviously, but at the bare minimum, I want to make it to the round of 16. Uh, I want to make second week for the first time. Never done it before. So that's definitely like the first thing I'm looking at to do. And then, you know, we'll just go from there one one match at a time. Well, Taylor, I appreciate you taking the time from your uh, from your quarantine in Australia to talk with us here <laughs> on the TC Live podcast. Seriously, though, best of luck uh, on the courts and, and obviously gaming with your friends there, too. Uh, but we love to see we love to see these young players do well. And uh, thanks for taking the time. And uh, yeah, sorry about to- those sorry about those interruptions. Those uh, they don't tell me when they're going to call. You know, no, it's fine. Hey, this is uh, this is a peek behind the curtain too, because uh, this just shows you what the commitment is to make it <laughs> to make it as a tennis player and then play in an event during a pandemic. But uh, yeah, they're just randomly calling my room, making sure I don't have any symptoms. <laughs> hey, we appreciate you coming on. Best of luck. Okay going forward yeah thanks for having me thank you that's going to do it for this episode of the tc live podcast once again huge huge thanks to taylor fritz best of luck to him down under he is on the cusp of a major breakthrough will it be this one in australia we'll have to tune in and find out we're just a day away now from live tennis resuming at the pro level players have made the sacrifices we're excited to see them back onto the courts it's going to be fun the australian open it's just over a week away i'm excited you should be too a reminder that you can catch every episode of the tc live podcast on the tennis podcast network just go to tennis.com slash podcast it's on all your available podcast platforms next week we will be previewing the australian open you're not going to want to miss that for taylor fritz i'm mitch michaels this was TC Live Podcast. We'll see you next week.